there, Evan listeners. Thanks again for tuning into Sin's workshop. Hope you're all having a wonderful day. All right, today we are going to be talking about the initial insult by Minnie McGinnis. I'm joined tonight by my wonderful and adorable son, who's one and a half. And here's some good news for me, anyway. Hey. <laughs> He's going to be a big brother. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to share that with you guys. Anyway, let's get into it. Mindy McGinnis's The Initial Insult. Uh, let me just start by saying I absolutely love this novel. So I don't know how much of a review this is going to be instead of more of a, you know, just me fangirling because I thought that it's so, it's so cheesy. I really did love this book because I'm a huge fan of Edgar Allan Poe, which is funny considering that when I was in middle school, I wasn't too much of a fan. I think the only story of his I liked was The Raven, which is why I gave my son his middle name is Corvus, which is Latin for Raven. And it wasn't until I reached probably my junior year of high school that I really started to appreciate Poe's work. Um, I was in that phase. <laughs> I think we all go through those phases in high school. So I was in that for storytelling um and that's where I really started to like edge my way into gothic lit um really loving the classics so I really love the initial insult because it does reference a lot of Edgar Allan Poe's work without just being a copycat um she draws inspiration from his work and it's really beautiful to see because when you're reading it you feel the respect she has for Poe's work you you can see the love she has for the work the admiration in just the simplest way she incorporates it she incorporates it with naming the characters you know Annabelle you have the house of Usher um there is a reference to the raven I can't remember it though and then you have, you know, the pit and the pendulum, uh, the telltale hearts, black cat. Black cat's prom probably the most prominent one because this is, well, so, okay, black cat's the most prominent one because there is a third perspective in, <laughs> in this, sorry, I'm just, I'm just watching my son take my husband's clothes out of his drawer and then put them back in it's adorable um black cat once again is the most prominent perspective because um there is a third perspective that is the cat so trust montour her parents disappear taking felicity home um when she was a kid so she was forced to live with her grandfather who is, you know, he's pretty much a fallen usher. And he has this rundown zoo that everyone likes to call the white trash zoo. It's very uh, derogatory and dismissive. He's not the best caretaker, which I am surprised that her aunt and cousin... <coughs> pardon me. I'm surprised her, her... She's pretty close to her cousin. So I'm kind of surprised that her aunt 
didn't take her in. And I am also surprised at the fact that um, social services, you know, they're always concerned with the zoo. You know, is he following, you know, all these regulations? No one stops to think that he's just pushing it. And no one stops to think, like, is this man really, this man who lives in the trailer on his zoo property, is he really the best caretaker for this little girl? No one stops to think about that. That's the only thing that struck me weird. But, you know, it is also realistic in, in a way. Unfortunately, kids don't always go to the best place um, for them. The system is flawed that way. Um, and it sucks. But it is reality that sometimes you just don't have the luck. And that's just Montour's life. She doesn't really have the luck. Um, ever since her parents disappeared, maybe they're dead. We don't know. I'm thinking they're kind of, I'm thinking they're probably dead. Um, we don't really know what happens to them, but they are this underlining mystery. And you're on this journey to figure out what this mystery is because the last person to see her parents was Felicity, her former best friend, who's the pretty girl. She's popular. She's smart. She gets everything she wants without even trying. And. It's really interesting to see that tension between them rise throughout the story, especially because um, she's decided she is going to get the truth out of Felicity brick by brick. She's going to wall her into this abandoned house. You know, they're having a party at this abandoned house before it gets torn down. So she knocks her out, ties her up in the basement. And she starts building a wall in front of her. She's like, well, you know what? You're going to tell me the truth or you're going to die. I want the truth. Because a lot of injustices have happened to Tress Monitor. You feel bad for her. You kind of, what she's, it's really twisted. You don't want to root for her because she's about to kill a girl. But on the same time, you're just like, well, Felicity is not really a great person. She's not. She doesn't outright do things that are harmful to Tress, but she doesn't stand up for Tress either. She kind of stands up to for to her mother, but her mother shoots her down very easily. Um, so she lets a lot of injustices happen to Tress Montour. And her mother is a lot of the reason why these injustices happen to her. I hate Felicity's mother, for the record. She's so stuck up. She's so caught in this. Appearance is everything. No one can know you can have you have seizures. Appearance is everything. No one can know. She's so caught in this web of superficial superficiality. And it's a really good way to tell the story because when you focus so much on what other people think of you rather than what you think of yourself, you become very lost. And you get to see that with Felicity. She's very lost. She's a very lonely person. She really doesn't, she thinks she's a bad person. And she is, you know, she's, I'm not saying she's the best person. She really is caught in her mother's web. And she doesn't see a way out. So she just kind of goes with the flow. Even if it means harming people. Even if it costs 
trust Montour's dog's life, um, which was probably the last straw for Trish. She's like, this was the last piece of my happy memories. And you were part. And she is. She's like, you were part. I want to know what happened. And so the story goes back and forth. You know, it's raising that tension. It's going back and forth, rehashing old memories. And I like it because you're seeing the memories from both perspectives. You're seeing as because they're talking to each other. You know that they're telling each other what, what these memories are. And I found that to be really engaging. And to know as a reader that, oh, these, this memory is her telling her this. But you're reading it as a story. So it's really coming to life. And it really has that emotion to it. It really has that tension. You really do get to understand these characters and relate, relate to them. Sorry. And then, of course, you have that third perspective, the cat, you know. The cat escaped from the zoo. It's a big black panther. So it's a big black cat. It escaped from the zoo. And its narrative is written in verse. And it was so interesting to see this narrative break up the story, add to the story, and give it this feel of fantasy without actually being fantasy. So I really did admire that. I thought that was such a wonderful aspect um, to the storytelling. And you know what? I loved it. <laughs> I really, really loved it. I loved all the references to Poe's work. Even the smallest references like, you got some kids, they're fixing a clock, they get the pendulum to work. It's all, it all adds up. It all adds to the atmosphere, to creating this very daunting atmosphere for the storytelling. And that's what I thought was really engaging. Especially if you're a fan of Poe's work, you're going to love all these references to Poe's work. You're going to admire them, how they're written and interpreted. And I think it's really engaging to see this story play out. And it's such, it's such a high tension. You're just like, I need to know. I need to know. First of all, you get sucked in with trust. You're just like, I need to know what happened to Tress's life. What happened to her parents? Like, you want to know because that was the catalyst. That was when everything went down in her life. That was when everything went away. It was the beginning of the end for Tress Montour. And in essence, the beginning of the end for Felicity as well. So I need to know what's going to happen. So, um, super excited that there's going to be a sequel to this book called The Last Laugh. Super excited. I think I'm going to go ahead and read my, if I have time, <laughs> if I have time. So funny. I have no time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and try to read my complete works of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, every year on my son's birthday, I read him The Raven. He seems to love it. <laughs> I'm that person. Um, but anyway, I'm going to give the initial insult five stars. Surprise, surprise. I can't really find any fault with this book. You know, it was really good. It was very well written. It was told in such a wonderful way. I really do think that it was executed to perfection. I Even thinking of it now, I can't really think of a fault for it. I really can't. And I wish I could. But I can't. I, I think this novel was perfect. It was everything I wanted and more. And I'm so happy I got a copy of it. 
so once again, The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. Highly recommend checking this book out from the local library if money's tight. If money's not tight, please purchase the book um, from your local bookstore or online book retailer. And on that note, I hope you all will continue to support me by liking this podcast, sharing it with all your book-owning friends, and becoming a monthly sponsor for only a dollar a month. Uh, there's information on that in the description. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. And as always, happy reading. Thank <laughs> you.